Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name's Matt and I'm here with Patty. Hello, Patty. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm very well today, actually. Good, good, good. We, the sun is shining, which is wonderful for end of October. Yeah. And uh, we've got a very exciting guest today. Uh, who have we got uh, on the podcast today? Oh, we have the most fabulous Kenny Jones, the most divine drummer. And he's been with many bands, including The Who, which I think is the, the, the main um, reason that people would know his name. But as a person, he is absolutely adorable. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was incredible to meet Kenny. And um, for those that don't know, this, this episode um, is actually recorded over two days. Um, so when we were with Kenny originally, um, he was telling us about the polo club and uh, he had his drums set up. And so the next day we went over um, to the polo club. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see some of that. Um, but what really struck me about Kenny is his, his entire story um, from, from beginning to end. And um, I guess that's what I've really enjoyed about this podcast so far is just the unique stories that all these different people um, have to share. Um, I mean, that wasn't necessarily the, the, the plan, but that's how it's gone, which has been great. Yeah, it has been great. It's been very interesting. But I also have to add here that not everybody is a famous musician. The people that we've chosen and invited to come on this podcast actually really interesting, amusing, mainly interesting for whatever reason. Mm. I think that's one of the, the really cool things about this uh, podcast is the fascinating stories that, that people have to share. And uh, so hopefully you've all enjoyed that so far, all the different stories um, that we've, we've heard. We've got many more stories to share. Um, but with that in mind, shall we jump into Kenny's story? Yeah. All right. So this is Cocktails with Patty and Kenny Jones. God, this looks lethal. <laughs> One dark rum. You'd only get these um, sugar sticks in Harrods. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't seen them for years and years. Here we are, and here's one for Matt. I'm going to get this right. Like maracas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that. Ooh. Yeah, these are going to blow your head off. Now, Kenny. Here we go. <laughs> what do we do with the sticks? You just the leave, sugar sticks. You just leave it in there and drink it while it's in, with it's in it. Oh. No, take that one. Why am I taking this one, Kenny? It looks a bit more, less potent. It's a girl one, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. God, this looks really exotic. Oh, it's strong. Oh, I love it. I the love it. The reason I like these is because they're, you know, most tropical drinks are, are all kind of fruity. Yes. And these are a bit stronger. I don't know what I can taste mainly in, in this. I think I can taste the Demerara rum yeah. more, than, more than the others. Well, you're going to get the grog mix come through there, aren't you? 
and then it hits the back of the throat. It certainly does, yeah. Mmm. Something about this Demerara rum. It says here it's been aged for five years. A bit like me and you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're aging very well. How have you been? All right, yeah. Sort of bored like everyone else, but busy doing other things. You know, waiting to go back on the road, waiting to play. Yes. You know, trying to keep fit. Well done. And stuff like that. What about you? Well, I thought it would be fun to do this, this um, podcast, a Drinks with Patty. But oh, last summer, I did, great, isn't it? I did another one called, uh, of recipes, lunch, lockdown lunches. Oh, yeah. Did you ever hear it, Kenny? No, I didn't, no. Oh. oh I'd have to listen to that. Oh, it's great. It's really good. It went on and on all summer until I finally got a little fed up with making food for humans that I made... <laughs> Dog biscuits. Oh, dog biscuits. Yes, and that oh. went down really well for Freddie, my dog. Mm. And then we finally did um, a cocktail, which was a pineapple and vodka cocktail. Oh, nice. Which was really nice. And then that gave me the idea of doing cocktails this spring and summer. So I've got to add this to it. What? So everyone yeah. I've talked to has got a different cocktail. Yeah. And a different story and a different joke. Okay. Yeah. Well, my story with this goes right back to... You told me you were going to, you've got a good story to yeah, tell Yeah, well, me. what it is, it goes right back to the faces touring me, Ronnie Wildenrod, and Mac and Ronnie Lane. Yeah. Touring America in 1969 onwards. And when we started to tour around uh, America, we discovered that the Hilton Hotels had Trader Vic's restaurant in there, which is Polynesian. So it's a Hawaiian restaurant. And it's, you've been to Trader Vic's in London. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's the same thing. Those were all identical everywhere you went. So we insisted on saying in as many Hilton hotels as we could because yeah. we knew we all had like these, these drinks. I mean, I fell in love with this particular drink and everybody else had like pina coladas and God knows what. So, but, and also the food was great because it was cooked in uh, uh, the clay ovens they had, which were in a, you, could, in a, you could see it in a, like a greenhouse. Like you can see it sitting around the tables, and you start you, this. You had tidbits with it. Tidbits were barbecued pork in, in a clay oven, and spare ribs, two spare ribs, and cheese bings. No, believe me, that's all you ever wanted. Navy grogs, done. Really, Out that's all you'd eat on tour. Well, gosh. No, now and again, every time we got to a Hilton Hotel. Yeah, and there was one in San Francisco. There was one in L.A. And when we got to Hawaii, oh god, that was it. Yeah. And the, the main the main reason you went to these uh, the Polynesian hotel Trader Vic's because it, it was completely away from you weren't on on the road again. You were you completely in another another land, and you could totally relax and drink. And you weren't on the road. You were just having fun, and Polynesian music, so all that Hawaiian music, oh. <laughs> and you drifted away drinking these things and getting more and more smashed. I love it. So this didn't influence the music in any way, did you? You never of went. Not. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> you did you do any sort of Hawaiian music? There's no. a great Hawaiian guitarist I seem to remember. Well, Woody used to play lovely slide guitar. That reminded me every time he played slide guitar or pedal steel. Um, he would. Um, that would remind me a bit of these drinks. Oh, right. But yeah, no, it goes back to then. Then Trader Vic's in Parkland. We used to go there all the time on a Friday. Now Ringo was there sometimes, um, 
Keith Moon and various other people at six o'clock on a Friday so, and Polynesian music. And so everyone was relaxing and had a great, had a great time. You know. So it's it's all about a fantasy, isn't it? Well, it's, this yeah. drink takes you on a fantasy. Well, it does. It takes Hawaiian you Hawaiian fantasy yeah. with the music and the drink and the sort of being the, well, lulled it's, it's, into. It's the nearest you're going to get to Hawaii. Let's put it that way. Honolulu yes. is going to Park Lane in a trade of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. So oh, for me, it's a great. When I came back, and all my kids, I used to go down all the time when when they were little babies and stuff like that. When they were little tiny ones. They used to love going there because it was different for them. Well, when you were a little boy, how did you get into the first band? Um, how did I get in the first band? I formed the Small Faces. Did you? Myself, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, Kenny, well done. Why did you call them Small I heard, Faces? Because uh, it was young. When we, when, we got, when, we got, when we found Steve Merritt, um, he had a, a, a very posh friend, a young lady who lived in Kensington. We went round to her house one day, and she said, "She said, well, you got you got to get yourself a name." And we went, "Oh, right, okay." She said, "I know. Well, why don't you call yourself the Small Faces?" And we just burst out laughing and said, "No way. We don't want to be called that." Of course, we took the piss out of the name all the time, yeah. and it stuck with us. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So onwards and upwards, and then we, we turned into the Faces when we split up, and and Rod, Rod and Woody joined the band. Rod Stewart? Yeah. Did it make a difference when they joined? Well, yes, it was a completely different band. It wasn't a continuation of the Small Faces. It was a, a different band, more blues-oriented. Who brought that in? Woody or, or, or I think, Rod? I think all of us, really, because we were like that. I mean, more Rod, I think. In the way Woody was playing, because Woody said, I don't want to play bass anymore. He was playing bass with Jeff Beck band. Right. And so, and Rob was on a wage and Rudy was on a wage with a Jeff Beck band and so they, they joined us and we thought okay they, they were free to do what they like and Rudy was playing slide guitar uh, which is more bluesy and more mm. rustic mm. so that's the way we went they just progressed from there we progressed from there yeah mm. we got signed by Warner Brothers right? Warner Brothers said because everyone says how did you get the name of the faces you know we, we thought it was a, a continuation of the small face. I said, no. The reason we kept the name The Faces was because when we went to sign, I noticed on the, on the contract it, it said Small Faces. And I said, no, we're not called The Small Faces. And they said, well, you're more well known as, as The Small Faces. So if you can't, if you're not going to be called The Small Faces, we're not going to sign you. <gasps> you can't have this money. Stop. So I said, OK, right. I said, the first album will be called The Small Faces. Thereafter that, we're going to be called The, fa the Faces, because there's nothing small about us. We're going to drop the small. Yes. And that's how we got our name. How did, how, how did the Beatles get their name? I've been dying to know. You must know. Why must I know? Because I wasn't there at the beginning. Well, you, haven't you heard any stories while you were there? <laughs> Why are they called The Beatles? I don't know. I might, I've got to find out myself. Do you know first. what? There's a guy, there's a writer. He is a forensic expert on the Beatles. Oh, really? He's written three huge terms. He almost talks about what toothpaste they use. Let's get him down for drinks. He must have we a phone. need him. Mm. This is a man we need. Now, did you enjoy touring America? I think, well, I can remember of it. Yeah. Yes. yes. I mean, Which was your favourite country to tour in? 
Oh, it's got to be the States. Okay. It's got to be the States. I Only mean, because of the Hilton Hotel, you mean? Uh, no, no, because it, we, we, we toured there when the Vietnam War was on. And we became very good friends with all the GIs there. Oh. And it's quite funny. Penny really dropped with me when we were in a hotel and some of the GIs were coming up back on leave for a bit. And some had their legs blown off and Ooh. some had one arm. And they were the same age as us and they loved our music and stuff. And there, there was us having a great time, playing music, you know, just having fun. And these same guys, the same age, were having their legs blown off. So we, we became very warm with each other. We, we, we bonded. Yeah. And so the GIs used to follow us all around in America all the time. We used, to, we used to take after the gig, we say, party back at the hotel. Oh. <laughs> and, so, and so we got a terrible reputation for smashing out. <laughs> we blame it on the GIs. Oh, that's so sweet of you to have done that. Oh, yeah, well, it kind of happened naturally. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But those poor boys are all so young, weren't they? Very sad. Mm. But that's really sweet that you did that. How lovely. I'm, I'm yeah. happy to hear that. Well, it kind of still goes on every time we go to America and stuff. You know, lots of people come out of the woodwork, you know, same age as us now. We're all getting older now. Yes. And they, you know, we reminisce about the old days. So. Did you ever play with Gary Brooker? Because we spoke to him earlier. Yeah. And poor Gary, I kept talking about White Shade of Pale, as if that's the only thing he's ever done. Yeah, I played with him, only, only White Shade of Pale <laughs> with him. Oh, really? As a guest drummer, yeah. What made you become a drummer in the first place? They run out of banjos. No, they do. The reason I go into drumming because in the East End of London, we had these Catholic bands that roam around the streets on Sundays and religious days. And my uncle was a mace thrower. He wasn't a band leader. He kind of, kind of band director. <laughs> Behind him was a row of side drummers, and I fell in love with the side drummers. I just used to walk alongside them when I was a little kid. I grew up with them. I pretended I was one of the side drummers. My dad was a bit of a carpenter, so I used to go to this shed. He had a bag of, uh, like, a biscuit tin full of nails and stuff. So I'd get rid of the nails, turn them upside down. Because it's tin, it sounded just like a snare drum. When I heard Lonnie Donegan play on the Six Five Special, I couldn't believe what was him and the banjo. I fell in love with the banjo. And I remember in a pawn shop in, in Bethnal Green, yeah. I'd seen this uh, banjo in there for three months prior, you know? I've seen that banjo, I'm going to go buy one. Don't forget, we rush up there, me and my mate, with no money in our pockets. We're just that eager. Get there, and the banjo had gone. Three months he's been there. No. So I asked him there, I said, where's the banjo? Well, it's a pawn shop. The guy's paid his money, he's gone to take it home. I said, get it back. Go and get it back. So I was walking back with my mate, back to my house. My mate said to me, really upset, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. I'm really looking forward to playing that banjo. And he said, a friend of mine has got a drum kit. I'll get him to bring it over this afternoon. I said, yeah, great. He brought a drum kit over and it ended up being a bass drum, one floor tom-tom and two broken sticks. No, it's two sticks, one of them which is broken in half. So we spent most of the afternoon trying to glue it back together. <laughs> no super glue in those days. So every time he hit it, and we said, wait, wait for it to glue together. And he hit it, it fell apart again. So I learned to play drums on one and a half sticks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Oh, so you never later on in life discovered a banjo? Much later on in life, I always promised, promised myself I'd have a banjo, and I bought one. 
Yeah. I bought a fantastic mother appel inlay. Fantastic. And I bought the wrong one. <gasps> no. I found out afterwards. I bought a league banjo, long neck. And I like the old George Formby ones. You still got it? Yeah, I love it. Did you, you I open the case out, I look at it, I'm gonna go, one day I'm going to get a rocking chair and go with this. <laughs> so can you play it? No. Drums, drums are my, my instrument. Banjo is my possession. Okay. It reminds me to stick to drumming. <laughs> so you still practice drums. Do you need to practice? I mean, you know how to play. Every time we had a tour, I, I, I literally, if I knew I had a tour, I'd, I'd have to have something to work to. So if I know I'm going on a tour in six weeks, I'll start, I'll start jogging and opening my lungs. And, and I used to have a right, lovely row machine. I believe for drumming, row machines are great because you're pulling everything. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, because you're. A you're rowing getting, machine? Wow. So you have to be physically fit to do oh, a tour? I think so. well, yeah, because when you're, when you're touring every day, mm. especially when I joined The Who, I wasn't quite as fit as I thought I was. So I soon learned how to be fit when I was confronted with three and a half hours on stage, non-stop. And I, one thing I did notice as I was getting older is I cannot drink alcohol at all when I'm, when I'm on tour. Oh, really? I can on a day off. Right. And occasionally after a gig. That's it. Because it goes to your muscles. Really? Yeah, it does slow you down. When I was in the faces, right, low and brow beer, beer came out. I started to sweat, you know, and my, I could feel my skin getting sticky, so and it just smelled of lambrow beer. Oh, wow. So, and in the end, with the who, I, 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 had, to, I had to take salt tablets, you know, because I was losing so much salt yeah. every, every night. When the small faces split, and we formed the face, or became the faces anyway, we were together for about seven years, and then uh, I, was, I was doing sessions between bands and stuff like that. It was nice to not be on the road, so I was enjoying time off, but still being able to play. And I was enjoying myself, you know, just time at home. I was putting together a transatlantic band with Glyn Johns, you know. He had, Glyn and I have been working together for years. So we were putting this band together, and it was um, half American and half English. So it was half rock and half eagles sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. but fantastic band it was. We just got a deal with Atlantic Records. Just about the sign, I got a call from Bill Kirby, the Who's manager, to say, Kenny, I'll come straight to the point. So the Who have had a, a meeting and they got together and they decided they're going to stay together and they want you as a play drums for them. And they're not, they're not considering anybody else. Mm. I said, well, it's very flattering, Bill. I said, but I can't. I can almost hear his chin drop on the floor. Why not? I said, because I've just formed this band. And, you know, that's, I, he said, well, Pete's coming in to the office at, so I said, oh, OK, he's coming to the office. I said, yeah, he's coming in about six o'clock. I said, great, no problem, I'll come in. Always happy to see Pete. Pete and I have got a long history of working together anyway. There's a small faces and, and the Who used to tour all over Europe, all over England, went Australia and New Zealand. And Mooney would never turn up, never turn up for a soundtrack. So I was, Kenny, would you play Mooney's drums? There was all that sort of stuff. And Pete and I used to do lots of demos for the Who. And I did the, the soundtrack for, for Tommy when I was in the faces for her. And so Pete and I and, and, and Bill Kirby were just talking for about two hours about the great times we had and what was, you know, having a real laugh. And, you know, and then suddenly Pete turns around about an hour and a half later and said, you've got to join the band. You're one of us, you're a mod. <laughs> and then suddenly I realised, you know, yeah, I've got to do this. They're my mates, you know, Pete's a great guy. So I said, look, I, I've got... My, my band, my new transatlantic band, right, funny enough, are in town 
and so they are, the Americans are over here, so I'm going to see them after this, uh, and I'll let you know. So I went to see the band, and I said, look, you won't believe this, guys. I said, the Who have, have asked me to join them, and they both, they all turned around and said, Kenny, you've got to do it. Oh, that's so sweet yeah, of them. That was it. So I got there, blessed, and I ended up joining the Who. Little did I know what I was letting myself in for. Was that fun? That was fun. I said, the hardest thing about joining the Who was learning the entire repertoire, uh, stage-wise, of, of the Who in 10 days. That's when all my session work came in handy. I never read music. I could read sort of bars and stuff like that. So I used to make, make my own kind of music out there. And then I threw it all away. In fact, I know it. And that was it. Wow. So, How wonderful. It was a great, great experience. How lovely. And you know, I said, when I joined the Who, I said, I'm not going to copy Keith Moon. There's no way I'm going to be seen as a replacement for him. I can't be that one. I said, because he's a unique drummer in his own way. He's also a great friend. And I would no way try to imitate. No. If you're going to imitate Keith Moon, you have to go lock, stuck and barrel. You've got to play. You've got to go, go be nuts first. Play the drums. <laughs> and... Try to kill yourself. Yes. I, I'm, I'm a straighter drummer. Certain things that I'm going to play, like feel, feels that I like Keith doing, you know, that's, I say, you've got to do them because they're nice. He said, look, he said, look, Kenny, because Keith is no longer with us, we have a sign, do something completely different. We have an opportunity to do something completely different. I went, oh, great. So I thought, great, I'm going to go down a different road. Of course, we never ever did go down that different road. We ended up playing the same old Who songs every time. Kind of towards then, I really got, I really got it. So I just went, I just know, oh, fuck it, bollocks. Just uh, ended up trying to be, not trying to be Keith Moon. I kind of, I kind of went, oh, I don't care anymore. So, so what the mistake I made when I first joined, joined who was I had these uh, concert toms. So they're more cheerful, like. Boop, 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 boop. So I was doing these these fills, whereas Mooney's kit and, and even my kit before they had concert toms were drums that are more or less the same size. You didn't try and make a tune out of them. You just, you just, uh, just hit them, <laughs> and, and so that was Keith. That was Keith's style, and I should have thrown away the concert toms and gone back to that. Ten years I did with her. Did you really? Wow, yeah. that's a long time. Yeah, we did Live Aid and all that shit. Wow, yeah. wow. yeah, you've had a very long career on that drum kit. Well, I've got my own band now, Jones again, which I hate the name. Sounds like a country in West Shit face, I like. <laughs> but Kenny, tell me, um, I know you've had that really fabulously successful polo club. Because we were talking to Nick Cook earlier, and uh, he was saying how fabulous it was to go there. And he wasn't a very good polo player. Not only that, he said he wasn't very good at, um, what did he play? Maracas or something? Percussion. Percussion. Funny enough, his, his gear is set up in, in the polo club at the moment with my drums. So now and again we get together and have a little play. In your club? Yeah. Oh, really? Because, I haven't been to your club for ages. Well, it's because we've been closed because of the uh, virus, um, I thought, well, just set the drums up in there and we'll have a little play. And you do? Yeah. But during the winter it got too cold to play. I couldn't. I and all the heat was on. Oh. So we could go now? Could we go now? You could go now, yeah. And you'd come with us and play? Yeah, we could do. Kenny, it's great to be at your polo club. 
I used to come here when we were allowed to go out and play and watch. Oh, programs. the good old days, you mean? The good old days. And I remember having wonderful, heady days in Marquis alongside. Up on what we call Corporate Hill. Corporate. At mid Marquis and champagne, cocktails and... Delicious polo. lunch. yeah. Polo to watch. Yeah. Lots of amusing people. Prince Charles, he was there a few times. Did he play here or did the Well, he did. Yeah, he played play? a few charity games. We did it for the Prince's Trust. Right. And he came every year for about 10 years. He was a good supporter. Oh, yeah. He's, had a drink. He's been in here. He said, Kenny, show me, show, me, show me your clubhouse. I went, OK, it's over here. Security all the way around us. And he, he was lovely. He came in and no, and no one took a blind bit of notice of him. These old members there sitting by the bar. And so they was just talking. And one of them said, oh, sir, would you like it? Could I get you a drink? He said, yes, pint of bitter, please. Did he? <laughs> he did, yeah, pint of bitter, please. Oh, sweet. So he gave him the bit and he went, cheers. And they didn't, they didn't bug him anymore. Oh, he must have really enjoyed that. Yeah. So where's my, where's my pint of bitter then? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really nice. The clubhouse is such fun. Yes, it's an old barn. It's 450 years old. And it's true, I think, that you saw it somewhere, bought it, well, and barns, then brought it all here. Yeah, barns. One of my hobbies is building barns, just for fun. You know, The first one I did was a recording studio. And when I moved here and bought the land, and I thought, what can I do? I've got to build a clubhouse for the polo. And I heard about this barn going three miles away in Ockley. And I went there, and I loved it. It was on the side of a hill. It was all falling down. And so I said, right, OK, I numbered it. Uh, we took it down and brought it here bit by bit and rebuilt it. Fabulous. Thank you very much. I love Fabulous. It. Yeah, I love it. But then uh, in the evenings, we've had many a fun time, charity events here. I can't remember. I was so drunk. <laughs> the yeah. band was playing. Yeah, no, Everybody no. was dancing. Yeah, we've had great gigs here. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Mm. And, of course, you've got a huge array of musicians that you can call yeah, on. Yeah, I call it the rock broker belt around here. Because, <laughs> I mean, you've got Eric up the road, haven't you? Yes. Where you used to live. Yeah. And uh, we've got Mike Rutherford. And there's loads of them, you know, loads, loads of rock stars all around the place. There's too many. You walk around down the road, you tread on one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you would import some musicians. I remember coming here once, and there's Ronnie Wood. Well, the yeah, Faces have played here, yeah. And Faces played yeah. here? Uh, the Who, I did, when The Who reformed, we played here. Yeah. And we've done a lot of uh, gigs here, yeah. Rock and Horse Power, we called it, to raise money for prostate cancer. Very good. And we did, yeah, we raised, raised about half a million quid. Amazing. Mm. Well done. Now, Kenny, behind us is your drum kit. Guess who noticed it first? Matt. There you go, yeah. He's he got, loves Because he plays it. drums, you see. I know. And we've just been up there, and I've introduced him to what we call a bum chum. You've got to sit behind it and have a go. Really? Mm. Will it give me a bum exercise? Oh, yeah. It's a BC2. You hit the bass drum pedal, bang, like that, and it goes bang up your bum. <laughs> but but it's instantly. Really? Yeah, no delay. OK, I'd like to try this. If you sit on there, sit around there. Yeah. Right. Put, so, Gosh, see, look at all these drums. That's it. Now, put your foot on the bass drum pedal. Now, bang it. Oh, don't. Hard. Oh, is it done? <laughs> <laughs> is that, did that feel good? Yes. Just feel Can you also thank you for doing this interview for the podcast? Oh, no, lovely. You've been a wonderful addition. And we'll do it properly. We'll do the measurements properly. Because I have to admit, Kenny, now, I was actually throwing it in. I was slugging it all in the place. Of course you were. I saw you. I wasn't stopping you. <laughs> it's a rock and roll around me. <laughs> and the free spirit in me. 
Anyway, that was great. Pleasure, Patty. Lovely. You. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure, Kenny. Oh, Matt, Kenny was so adorable. Um, I think you can just tell by everything he was saying that he's a very gentle, sweet soul, which I would imagine is kind of unusual for a drummer, you know, when you give your full energy. And yet he's so quiet and adorable and amusing and fun. And uh, it was really lovely to talk to him. It was, it was. I love his uh, sense of humour. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, what, what, a, what an awesome guy. And I love that he uh, invited us over um, to his, his polo club. And yeah. as it was mentioned in the podcast, I'm a drummer. And um, <laughs> Great to, uh, fun for you. It was great fun <laughs> for me. And uh, he let me have a play on his kit, which was great. So, um, yeah, awesome time with Kenny. So thank you, Kenny. That was, uh, that was so, so good. Um, so quickly, just want to tell you about the socials. Um, if you are on Facebook, you can connect with the podcast uh, by looking for um, official Patty Boyd. If you're on Instagram, it's Patty Boyd official. Um, if you're on Twitter, it's at the Patty Boyd and the YouTube is Patty Boyd official. And um, if you're listening, you can watch uh, these episodes and uh, if you're watching you can listen on Apple Podcast and Spotify and if you're enjoying these episodes uh, if you're if you're really enjoying the stories that are being shared we'd love to hear from you so please leave a comment um, and if you can leave a review um, and next week we have another legendary drummer who do we have next week Pat? We have the most sensational most fabulous drummer singer songwriter Roger Taylor. He's such a darling, wonderful mm. person. And so kind of him to come here yeah. and do the podcast with us. Yeah, incredibly humble guy. And um, yeah, again, it was amazing to meet him. Do you know, I saw his show in Shepherd's Bush Empire on Friday night. Wow. I was so completely blown away. I couldn't believe how fabulous Roger is, you know, taking center stage. He was a big 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 star not only that you know he's a great drummer his band was sensational and um you know the show went from being totally explosive to rather gentle and beautiful to then dynamic again it just it was like a big wave it kept Amazing. changing Amazing. oh my god you are a silly boy not to have seen it in Guildford. <laughs> i know i know i know next time hopefully next time so all of that and more next week and um, we look forward to you hearing roger's story next time